You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. <laughs> hey there, Michelle. How are you doing? Hi, Glenn. How are you? It's nice to see you. I'm just fine. I'm fine. Uh, this is Glenn Lowry. It's the Glenn Show at bloggingheads.tv. I am a professor of economics and of international and public affairs at Brown University, uh, the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs sponsors The Glenn Show. I'm with Michelle Kerr, um, who is a public school teacher um, at the John F. Kennedy High School in Fremont, California. She's been a guest previously uh, on The Glenn Show, and she's back to talk about, uh, well, just about everything having to do with uh, K-12 through education, uh, and especially in this time of COVID-19 crisis. So welcome, Michelle. Well, thank you. Yeah, originally, I I remember I wrote you because you had Ian Rowe on, and I was like, oh, he said some stuff about charters I want to talk about. And that was, we were originally scheduled for March 30th, which is, uh, you know, we could have still talked about it. Now it feels like the pandemic has kind of taken everything out of the way. Anyway, yeah, I'm Michelle Kerr. Fremont, for those of you who don't know, is in the Bay Area. It's on what we call East Bay. Uh, I am right now in Redwood City, which is mid-peninsula, uh, on the West, well, well, I only call it West Day because the Fremont people don't know what I mean when I say Redwood City. But, uh, so I live here and, um, yes, I am teaching in the era of pandemic. So, uh, I teach math. Right now I teach math and engineering. Um, I have four credentials. My, I just got, since last time I spoke, I have a career technical education. Uh, my specialty is in, uh, information systems, which is from my previous life. Um, I teach math. I'm also credentialed in English and in history. And at Kennedy, I have used all four of those credentials at one time. Michelle was a guest previously on the Glenn Show. We were talking about uh, what are some of the challenges of uh, educating kids, especially kids with disadvantages. And the show had so many interesting things to say and was so articulate in saying them that I thought she'd be the perfect person. <laughs> and moreover, moreover, she felt entitled to write me and complain <laughs> Complain about the great Ian Rowe, who is an entrepreneur in the charter school movement in New York City, and whom I gave uh, ample sway here at the Glenn Show to put forward his point of view. And one day, Michelle, we will indeed come back and, uh, and allow you to rebut. Just one, uh, the, just one correction, which I didn't complain about him. I just said I thought you did a good job of interviewing him, but you missed some points. And I wanted okay. to come in and say those points. Yes, cause I, right. I, I thought he did. He was very... I thought he he represented well. I wasn't. It wasn't a complaint about him. Just so I don't want Ian Rowe out there thinking I think bad things about him. So. Okay, good. I'm glad you corrected me on that. Uh, he is a good guy. I think he's doing the best he can, and uh, there are differences of opinion, and they deserve to be aired. So we will circle back to that topic. But I'm really interested in hearing from you, Michelle, about how your life is and the life for your students um, at the John F. Kennedy High School in Fremont. Uh, in this time where uh, schools are closed and uh, you're trying to teach kids who are sitting at home, I don't know what their conditions are. I'm not sure how effective they are. Are they falling behind? Are some kids, you know, the digital divide and all of that? Um, how do you keep your spirits up? Uh, a lot of questions of that sort. So what's going on? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, and first off, I always like to preface my comments with, there's a million different profiles of schools out there. Did I just freeze up? I just froze. Yeah, your video froze. I still got your yeah. audio. Okay, if you got my audio, let's see if my video comes back in a minute. Okay, they always well. freeze at a horrible spot, don't they? Hang on, let me change cameras if I... Well, that's probably that's not working. the portrait that you would... That want. one works. No, it's not, but there we go. That one works. We'll see if the other one comes back, but okay. I have two or three cameras. Okay. Um, uh, 
where was I? Oh, so at Kennedy, so my school is a Title I school. We're about 45% um, free and reduced lunch. Uh, Title I means we're a high poverty school, anything over 35%. Um, and we fortunately had time. It was actually quite interesting. And um, uh, by the way, I listen to you all the time. And I'm pretty much where you where, where you are on whether or not shutting down absolutely everything, particularly schools, that there might not have been other ways to achieve it. I don't want to, I'm not a, I'm not somebody who's, it's just the flu. I'm just saying that I was not on board with closing down the schools when we did. Um, in fact, probably 30% of my students have a job. So I'm like, wait, they can go to work, but they can't go to school. This really kind of annoys me. Yeah. Um, and, and they're still going to the, they're still part. going to work. And some kids, and my brother is a manager of a very, very exclusive grocery store up in Portola <laughs> Valley. Uh, he's a, it's a, it, and uh, when school shut down, he got like four high school and, co- and college employees. I mean, kids that had been sent home that were working, that wanted a way to pay the bills. And so, or just wanted some money or wanted something to do, but they got jobs. Yeah. My kids, I've got kids working at Burger King in the, not, you know, because they're, you can't come in Burger King, Panera. I've got kids working at grocery stores kids doing, I'd say most of them are working in restaurants, but some are working in grocery stores. So um, uh, probably some are working in DoorDash. It tends to be, there there are also kids who are not allowed to leave the house. You know, I mean, there's both, there's both sorts. Um, As I said, our school is very mixed demographically. We have, we're about 35% Asian, 35% Hispanic, 24% white, and about 12% African American. And if I were to tell you, if you told me the demographic of my student, I would be able to tell you the odds of whether or not they're staying home or not. You know, in other words, so uh, uh, East, Asian, East, Asian, East Asian students are the most likely to be, you cannot leave the house. You cannot leave the house. I'm not saying it's only, I'm just saying mostly. South Asian tends to be, they'd rather you stay home, but mom, it's a really good reason. Okay, but be careful. And most of the kids who are working are Hispanic and white. Um, I, I don't have enough. I, I, and the two or three African-American kids I have are also working, but I don't have a huge number of African-American kids. At 10%, you can sometimes go a whole semester only having one or two. Do you know um, whether any of these kids have gotten sick? No. Oh, no. I don't know anybody who's, who has it. Uh, look, I live in one of the bluest areas of the world. I mean, you know, we're, we, are, we are just progressive to the hilt. Yeah. There is not, and, and I'm not saying that everybody agrees with me, but I would say that, that there's a substantial amount of people that thought it was overkill to begin with. You know, the parking lots are full. One of the cool things is there's no traffic, like during rush hour traffic, but the rest of the time the roads are normally full. So this is not an area with, like you were saying, you're stir crazy. I'm not. I'm going out about, you know, doing things. Um, I, I go every day to a coffee shop. I go shopping or I'm working in my garden. Thank God they're not closing my garden here. And kids are doing the same thing. Um, most of the kids I talk to would like to come back to school. And that's very yeah. much because I don't, I'm not teaching like the, the top tier kids. So anyway, um, going back to my, what it's like, we were from, and, it, and it's kind of interesting because when people, they tend to talk to the unions and, when we were shut down, so, so, oh, going back to the story. So Thursday night, Thursday, we got an email from our superintendent saying, look, 
The CDC says there's really no health reason we should close the school. In fact, it might be bad to close the school, which, by the way, was what the CDC was recommending back in March. <clears throat> um, so we're not closing. Bad because of herd immunity? I don't know why. I don't okay. know. I don't know what the CDC's reason. I only know that they were saying there's no advantage to closing. And that was their original thing. It, it clearly said so on their website. Thursday, this was March 12th, that we, we got that email. Thursday night, we got an email from our principal saying things are changing on the ground fast. It'd be really great if you could come in tomorrow at 730. Our school starts at 8. We normally don't, you know, we show up before the bell. That's fine. It's rare for him to do that. And the next morning, he said, likely going to close. And it took all day, but at the end of the day, uh, like at 4 o'clock, we heard, yes, what was going to happen the next week was Monday was going to be a work day for the teachers, and then Tuesday the kids would come in and pick up what, you know, we give them laptops, everything else. Was, was um, that a uh, decision by Gavin Newsom, the governor of California? Was that a Newsom, local? Newsom didn't close it down until Monday. However, it was very clear to me that this was coordinated. I, I, and I say that not in some sort of conspiratorial <laughs> sense. It's just it was clear to get an email. And by the way, there's a guy who is a blogger up in uh, Sacramento. I happened to read his blog and it happened in almost identical ways. Sometime between March 12th and March 13th, the word went out to schools that they were to close. This was not a district decision. My understanding was at the county level. The counties technically left it up to the districts. Oddly enough, no district said, hey, we're going to stay open. Um, but it was within one day. So we had Friday. So like on that Friday, I told all my kids it looked like we were going to close. In my trig classes, I was able to say, I'm going to introduce this new topic, which I was about to do, and introduce it in a way knowing that I might, you know what I mean, that it might not be coming back. My engineering kids, I said, take supplies home that you need. You know, let's uh, don't have me keep them on, plus I'll take stuff home. So I had, and all of us had that day to plan. Um. And then on Monday, we came in as expected, but Monday afternoon, Gavin Newsom said, no, all schools are shut down. Nobody can come to school. And that was it. So, so that was the day. So our, even our tentative Monday, Tuesday plan got screwed up. However, and I got oddly enough sick that weekend, that week. Um, I don't know why I'm almost never sick. I still sent out my pack. I sent, I had a packet and I, I, you know, sent the kids a packet and said, take a look at this. I'm not feeling the list week, uh, you know, email me with questions. And I hadn't really kind of gotten it together. However, by I think Wednesday, a colleague of mine had sent out an email to the math department talking through what he had seen. And it instantly began an email conversation. And it was very clear to me. And keep in mind, I'd been sick, which I almost never, never am. So I hadn't been on it. This is the, first, everybody, week. This is the first week after shutting this down. Is, this is March... Let me see, 13th, I got sick. It was like the Thursday, so before March 20th, before yeah. March 20th, um, we were, uh, so I was still sick when I got these, when I got these emails, I remember. And um, it was clear, so some people were making videos. Most everybody was holding Zoom conferences, which I was expecting to do. And in other words, without any direction or anything, pretty much my entire cohort of math teachers, I mean, colleague, group of, co- of 10 math teachers were teaching. And um, I was really amazed and I got some really good tips. Like I had not planned on use Google Classroom. 
one of my uh, colleagues said it's really good because what he did was he, you know, do you know what Google Classroom is? I don't. You can explain it. Google Classroom is one of the bazillion things that Google uh, gives for free so they can collect our data and sell it to the Chinese or whatever they're doing. But um, it is a, uh, it's, it's, it's very, by the way, having now used it, I'm a big fan. It's probably what I will continue to use in my engineering classes. But what's nice about it is you create a class and you can either add your kids yourself. And this is what the, the, te- the colleague said. He said he sent out an email with the class code and then the kids could join it. And that let him know how many kids were reading his emails. And I went, Oh Lordy, that's really useful. And that was what led to me doing it. And, and uh, Google Classroom is quite good. You can quickly grade like kids upload, you know, all kids have cameras and, and I have kids who don't use laptops that much and pretty much do everything through their phones. Um, I, uh, but you know, in most cases, if a kid's struggling, I'm like, the school is giving them away, contact the school, you'll get a laptop. I mean that we, we prioritize that. But anyway, so, um, I remember by about Friday, I was feeling better. And that's when I got all my classes set up and I started looking into Google classroom and I sent out school. I had been sending out emails all along. And one of the things we have, which I believe, and I don't know that most people know this, most schools, I believe, have some kind of package that allows you to email your students without going through email. In our particular case, it's something called School Loop. And what's nice about it is that I can go on to School Loop and say, okay, I want to email all my first block kids. Uh, or I want to email all my first block kids and their parents. Or if you need to, I want to email this kid, all their, all this kid's teachers and their parents. You know what I mean? You have that kind of power. Really nice. I don't think this would have been doable if I'd had to collect email, uh, things. And, and one of the things, like, if you get, if you get, uh, communication from our principals, one of the things that they, they, the principal says to the parents and the kids, you should be checking school loop all or all the time. That is, you know, the one place to start with. And then if your teacher says check Google class. So my point is, is that I had originally planned on just, um, I, I, from the beginning, I was planning on teaching new stuff. All of our math department was teaching new stuff instantly. Um, and I was actually relatively slow in getting started because I'd been sick that first week and all of my colleagues. And by the way, as I found out pretty much throughout our school, the academic teachers were going forward and teaching. Some were creating videos, some were doing stuff through school loops, some were doing assignments, but pretty much everybody was teaching. There are exceptions. I know this, that there are, there are teachers who aren't doing anything. Hard to be a music teacher and do anything. Hard to be a PE teacher and do anything. But they are. A lot of them are giving them stuff to do. Yeah. Um, did, you, uh, did you have uh, a lot of pushback or did you dare to express your uh, thoughts about maybe uh, the shutdown isn't necessary? Uh, I did. And how I'm I'm laughing because if if for some reason my colleagues are out there, they're laughing at the idea that I might not express my opinion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. uh, In in fairness, I'm not, I'm not a super mouthy teacher. When I went into teaching, um, I, understood that I was going into a whole different type of bureaucracy. So I didn't go into teaching to change the world. You know what I mean? So it has to be something I feel pretty strongly about. And I remember, and I said, I know it's not up to you to Eddie, my principal. It was in the meeting. I said, but we've got kids who are working. Explain to me why it's okay for our kids to work, but we're going to say it's dangerous for them to go to school. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And he goes, it's not, 
you know, it's not in my hands. And I throughout have felt, and then we've got something that, that let me, I want to say this. I should always preface this. Any teacher talking in public, I think my district is doing what they think is best for all kids. I don't think they're doing this sloppily. They've been very on it. We're getting email from curriculum people. You know what I mean? This is not, my disagreement with them is not, well, you didn't think this through. My disagreement is more with the nation on how we're reacting to this. You know what I mean? I don't think my district is doing anything wrong. Um, I just want to make sure that they don't think I'm criticizing them. I just disagree. Um, so yes, I did push back, but then I left it alone. Cause I mean, this was, it was clear that it wasn't up to, to not only my principal, but my supervisor. It was very clear in the sequence of events. I told you that this was coming from, from someplace else. You know what I mean? That it was, it was, it was definitely coming from um, outside of that. So okay. anyway, I'm, I'm um, I was just going to talk about, so uh, we are, we are required to go credit, no credit. And that I do not believe. And again, there was a long discussion about it. There were representatives from each organization, but they decided to make it credit, no credit. Um, I believe this is undue weight to, so, so let me say this another way. I believe that students have been incredibly hurt by closing the schools and therefore maximum flexibility should be given to the students and to, to say either grades or credit, no credit is simply wrong. The students should have the choice, you know, um, right. what they want to do. Um, there are students for whom credit, no credit would improve their GPA. There are students for whom, you know, credit, no credit would drop their GPA. There are students who are working hard and getting good grades, and I believe they should get the grades associated with it. Again, pretty much every district in the area is going credit, no credit, and I think that is one more way that students are paying the price. I think a lot of teachers are also very concerned that it's just started, that it's going to hit um, uh, productivity, motivation, you know, why bother? Um, fortunately I teach math because in math, if you've got any kid who's not worried about their grade, it's like, yeah, but you got to be worried about next year, whatever math you're taking next year, because math is sequential, um, students, uh, need to know what's, uh, uh, what's coming next. So that does help. Um, so anyway, so we're doing that. What's the but graduation rate at uh, John F. Kennedy High School? I don't know exactly, but it's it's not super high, but it's high. I, I will tell you, I know that roughly half of our students are A through G compliant, which means that uh, which means that they are eligible to go to a UC school, and that is relatively low by the standards of say Palo Alto, and this is our school, Mission San Jose. Mission San Jose is a another school in our district, which is routinely ranked among the top probably 20 high schools in the country. Uh, they're in the same district, and they probably have 99% A through A through uh, G. Uh, our graduation rate, let's say, is 80 to 90%. I don't know. It's good. It's just, it's not, you know. Okay. So now when you say that you think the kids have been uh, tremendously hurt by the shutdown, say, say more about that. How so? Oh, I think they're hurt in multiple ways. First off, simply, they didn't sign up for for being educated from home. I mean, there's kids who have serious motivation problems. And one of the things that gets any compliance from them at all is that they get their butt out of bed, come to school and get told what to do. And you may say, well, that student should have their own motivation. Okay. That, you know, five bucks gets me latte at Starbucks. I mean, so what, this is it. So there's that group of kids. There's kids that we're losing. You know, everybody talks about the technology divide. Forgive me. That's crap. 
uh, not complete crap, but a lot crap. In other words, it's because not that every they kid has a phone. No, yeah, not just every kid has a phone, but that every student, the schools are handing out laptops, everything like that. I'm That's not, true. I won't, I'm not, I won't say complete crap. I'm not saying that all kids are equal. What I'm saying is, is that the larger problem, and I think most teachers, most not all teachers would agree, is motivation from the the kids who tend to be low income, who tend to be, you know, just got here from, you know, El Salvador or Honduras, and they can work. You know, they can go out. In fact, there's many kids that we get from, that just come from another country, that they did not come here planning to go to school. They came here planning on paying back the debt it took to, you know, fly them over and claim asylum or walk over if they were from, we have Punjabis that come here who claim asylum or Honduras. And I'm saying this non-judgmentally. I'm just saying that these kids are shocked. What do you mean I have to go to school? I'm, I'm working. You know, th- th- that wasn't in their plans. So when you have that, that kind of, of kid, they're not even going to think about going to school. And that's, and, and, and people look and say, well, they don't have the technology. We can get them the technology. They just, it's not on their list of priorities. And I'm not saying it should be. I'm not saying that judgmentally. Um, there's other kids who are watching video, playing video games from dawn till dusk. Again, I say that without judgment. Okay. It's like they didn't sign up to be educated from home. They did not sign up for it. These are teenagers. These aren't adults. They don't have a choice. And we change the rules on them. And I don't care what their reason is for not participating. It's not their fault. It's not, you know what I mean? It, it, I'm not saying, oh, the poor dears. I'm just saying we change the rules. And there's no, we didn't ask them. You know, we didn't say, hey, what do you want to do? We didn't say, hey, you know, we're going to add. I mean, there's people who are saying, well, we need to repeat this year if they're poor. I'm like, no, you don't. I mean, I'm sorry if they want to. Sure. And this is my point. All flexibility should be given to the kid or and the parents. If the parents say, I want my child to repeat this year, they repeat. If the kid says, hey, the fact that I don't have these credits, I was out working during the pandemic because my parent, my dad and mom were out of work and I could get a job. I'm like, then you need less credits to graduate, fewer credits to graduate. Well, you know what I'm saying? The shutdown yeah. happened in uh, March. Yes. Uh, the, the academic year started in September and ended in June. How is it that you want to repeat a whole year because you lost a half of a uh, half of a year? I absolutely agree. I, you know, and that's what they're saying. They're saying we've got to catch them up. I'm like, and again, most people are focused more on elementary school kids where I believe, I don't want to say the damage is non-existent. It's less because they have catch up time. I think the kids, if you look at cohort wise, the kids are probably the most hurt by this are the sophomores and juniors, whether college bound or not high motivation. They have just had a significant crimp in their ability to build a resume to look attractive to college. Low motivation. These are kids who tend not to be motivated and you've just increased the possibility yeah. that they're going to have to take more classes, uh, now, you know, to repeat classes. I haven't heard you speak about the role of parents stepping up, uh, the amount of involvement in their kids' education in virtue of the fact that the kid's not going to school, uh, you know, kind of a homeschooling light where uh, they're uh, substituting for the discipline of the school by providing the motivation or the, you know, the structure in the home and so forth. Uh, is, is this pie in the sky on my part? Do I not um, understand parents? I would say, okay, this is a, this is, this is my view. I would argue it's probably the view of more people than you know. Uh, look, parents' job, as far as I'm concerned, is to get the kid to school. That's it. 
You know what I'm saying? Now, an administrator, in fact, it's kind of a joke at my school because I hate calling parents. I never call parents. And if I'm really having trouble with a kid, like particular trouble, and I call an administrator, I know the first thing he's going to say is, did you call the parents? I'm like, no, I don't like calling parents. It's like, you know, it's, it's between me and the kid. If I have to bring in you, that's one thing. But my point is, is that parents are parents. Public school is something that we require you to do to bring your kid to school. You know, if a parent says, look, my kid, I tell him to go log on and he refuses. I don't blame that parent. That's just how it is. You know, if uh, some kids have internal motivation, some don't. It is not homeschooling at the high school level, I would argue. Most parents don't have the skill level to do at the high school level. When I, If I read one more stay-at-home mom or opinion journalist mom talking about the difficulty she has with her 8-year-old and her 10-year-old getting them to their Zoom sessions, I'm just going to beat them with a stick. I'm, so, I'm like, <laughs> you know, shut up. Just, just you know, can we go out and it, – it's just ridiculous. It's like well, – your, your point is that most parents don't have their resources – to be able to be worried about it in that way? You are, you are writing for the Washington Post, okay? You are an op-ed columnist for the Washington Post. Call me nuts, but I think your kid could probably take a whole year of school and watch video games and garden and, and you know, do it, and you're fine, and shut up. I'm, I'm Not really, but, you know, it's like yeah. I just really don't need any more moms well, or dads let me talking you, about the difficulty side. I'm being too opinionated and unstructured today. I'll try and be more. (laughs) No, you're you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Uh, You you talked about the different ethnic groups. You said the East Asians, the South Asians, and whatnot. Um, What do you think in terms of parental involvement and uh, offsetting through home effort, the uh, whatever the deficits might be from uh, shutting down? Do you think the East Asians are uh, less disadvantaged by the shutdown uh, than uh, than others, or that that might have been my uh, supposition. There's more parental involvement, and you know, more focus on academics. We have a wide range of economic uh, status among our East Asians. So, for example, last year, and actually for the two years prior to that, in my ELL class, English language learners class, I had a a Chinese kid who had very low motivation, was quite bright, spoke almost understood more English than he let on, didn't like to work and had a father who worked three jobs. Okay. And then I, you know what I mean? So we, we get, we get kids that are, that have, you know, uh, from China with that, that level of, of status. We also get kids from India. Uh, as I said, Punjabis, there's more and more Punjabis coming over. Um, the first time I met an Indian Punjabi who didn't speak English, I was, blown away. I, I've worked and lived and worked in the Bay Area all my life, and every single Indian I had ever met up to that time spoke English as, like, one of their first language. Yeah. And it's, you know, but we're, we're getting, so it, and then we, of course, have kids whose parents are, are in, you know, technologists and working at Tesla or working at Google or working at Facebook. So we have a wide range of socioeconomic among our East Asians. I would say, yes, that the when I talk about the East Asians whose parents are making them stay at home, I would say that's disproportionately probably highly educated. Um, in fact, I would say it is probably a factor of education, the degree to which parents are making their kids stay home. It seems to me that uh, upper income people in general are much more worried about it than, than working class. Again, this is just my general opinion. Um, uh, what about the- what Yeah. What about uh, the social life of the kids, uh, uh, about them interacting with each other, about the clubs and, and the outings and, and all that, of that? 
No. How about how about sports? How many kids I mean, are losing yeah. football scholarships? No, I I agree. It's not just the academics. It is all of the other things that come along with it. In fact, one of the things I'm doing today, in fact, um, I brought. Um, so I'm an engineering teacher, and I brought home my 3D printers. And we're we're a low income school, and the school right down the street from us has this most amazing setup. And I've just got these two little printers. But I I was going to print out like kid, have kids say, hey, if you if, you know what a 3D printer is, by the way, do people know what a 3D printer is? Well, why don't you tell us? I, 3D, I, I roughly know, but I I don't know as well, much. As well, I could. What, when my brother always says you shouldn't call it a 3D printer; it's a replicator. It it it, it basically <laughs> you can build something on screen and print it out. And um. In my engineering class, one of the first things I did was I, I said, I wonder if there's any 3D printing stuff for the, in the coronavirus era. If there, cause I remembered heard about valve, printing out of valve. And I found out that 3D printer, like, like a, uh, Prusa, which is a major manufacturer in, in Czechoslovakia, they were printing out face shields. And so I sent, I sent it, put it out for my kids to read and comment and, you know, just say, Hey, do you think this is something we could do? And it turned out that um, uh, one of my students' mom is a nurse, and she looked at it and said, wow, I could really use those. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll try to print them out. And then we found something called an ear guard. Have you ever seen how um, they hook the, uh, you know, the mask over your ears? Mm-hmm. When you wear that all day, it can really hurt. Mm-hmm. And so there's something called an ear guard, which is just this little piece of printed out plastic that you fix right here. And so it doesn't block your ears. And she goes, oh, my God, give me as many of those as you can. So I gave her like 55. Um, And uh, I suddenly realized that this is something that my Makers Club, which is an after-school club, I I, I was doing it. Like, I'll wander around now. Like, I've got my 3D printed mask, face mask. with And and people say, oh, that's cool. I'm like, hey, I'll make you one. You know, just give me your number or something. And I do it for free. And I suddenly realized this is a great thing going back to that I can get my maker club involved in finding people who need material, going to grocery stores or contacting grocery stores that they can't get out of the house. And it will give them something to put on their resume. I mean, never mind that we're also helping the community and, you know, <clears throat> let me be pious. We're helping the community. But on top of that, they are, cre- they are coming up with something that they can do to say, look, here's something I did that is something that will look good on a college resume. And I think that's very important because kids are losing all of this. Like my, we had a group, a competition group. We were going to go to this, uh, to the divisional and hopefully to the state finals and it was all canceled. Students are losing all of these things. And we are, we are, I, I, I do not believe there was enough thought given to closing down the schools. And oddly enough, the one guy who did protest it, Bill de Blasio, is uniformly castigated for it. Yet there's a fair amount of research by this point that's suggesting that closing the schools is orthogonal, as it were, to the spread. It, you know, it doesn't seem to be making it worse. It doesn't seem to be making it better. And I really hope we get back to opening it because it's not just the academics. It's the whole, it's the whole, I mean, there, there are kids probably in large urban cities who are going to have a jail record because, or get in trouble with the police because they weren't in school. That's almost certain to happen that there's some kids that that, that little, you know, change caused them to go the wrong path. There's going to be kids who are going to feel less connected from social life because they were stuck at home for a year. All of these things are going to happen. And there wasn't enough thought. I don't think. And again, I'm not talking at my district level. I'm talking nationwide 
there was a big push to close the schools. And for a disease that was not hitting young children, and of course, this would be an entirely different thing if it had been polio, where, yes, this is horrible, but we're saving your life. You know? I, I assume the argument is uh, going to be something about not the uh, kids getting sick, but the kids carrying the virus back home and people in the household where the kids are coming from getting exposed indirectly. Some of those might be older people and they're more vulnerable. The trade-off I thought would be that on the one hand, the kids could uh, perhaps spread the virus among themselves and help to promote this herd immunity concept without themselves getting much at risk of, of, of uh, serious illness uh, and over the long haul, that would be good for the society as a whole because there would be a lot of uh, people who had uh, antibodies built up uh, against the disease. But I guess the calculation is that they're going to go home, and, and that's a risk that uh, people didn't want to take. But well, there's also, I wonder if you agree with me, I, I have this sense that there's a kind of herd mentality dynamic that goes yes. on since once oh, the yeah. gets started, you don't want to yes. be an outlier and, you know, take a stand against, you know, consent. Look at, look- Look at everything that was Paul and de Blasio and then uh, DeSantis down in Florida for be, for resisting it. There was just this massive pile on. Instead of saying, hey, there's different approaches and let's do things differently. It was, look, there's these people who aren't doing what we're doing and we should. And I, you know, I completely agree with that. I also think that there's a difference between doing nothing and letting it go and not closing the schools. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have I mean, for example, high school sports probably would have ended no matter what. And that would have, that would have put a cost on your athletes. I think that dances would be over. And, but I mean, if you're a child living in a house with an older person, <clears throat> then that is a problem, not a problem, but that is a situation that requires addressing yeah. rather than close. And I, I, as I said, there, and I would say this is that, um, Schools, a school system and a school in general and the national education system is tasked with looking after the best interest of kids. I do not believe that at any time in this discussion (coughs) was anybody saying, um, well, what's in the best interest of kids? They were looking at the big picture and I'm, I'm not blaming anybody. I just think that that was our job. But because of the politics involved, it would have looked very bad. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking my district level. I'm talking overall. There was no thought to, hey, is closing down schools a good idea for our, for our kids? Is it really helping? And again, what we're basically doing, and this is where the whole stuff about killing grandma comes in. But there is little doubt to my mind that when, you know, people talked about, originally they talked about flattening the curve, meaning we're going to delay the onset. But now they're talking about like, look, we're saving lives by not doing this as opposed to delaying it. So when you say, you know, look, but, but we are in fact purchasing safety for one group of people at the cost of the poor and the young in a fairly big way. And this concerns me. And I don't think there was enough talk about it at the beginning. I definitely don't think even now there's enough talk about what's going on with school with that, even in the case where everybody's getting educated well. And by the way, on the flip side, I don't think schools have given enough credit for the fact that we're educating at all. You know what I mean? The vast majority, I mean, there are some who aren't, that Seattle's doing their weird thing. Um, 
But the fact is, is that the bulk of schools in this country immediately began starting to, to, to educate at home. And some of them, like in the Bay Area, did a fairly good job at it. And I'm talking about a complete change in everything that we do. And we did it. And by God, we are not given enough credit for what we've done. Everybody's looking at the failures when, in fact, there are schools that literally all, I mean, all throughout America who on that Monday after they were shut down started doing something and kids knew what they do. You know, there was others who, who made the choice not to, but most of them didn't. And I think that is an, you know, when we sit there and complain about schools, I do not think that people give us enough credit for what we did at all. That we did it at all is amazing. You know what I mean? We're not set up to do this. Well, so there's my brag moment for America's schools. So <laughs> uh, you're a good advocate. I got to ask you this though. Uh, I assume uh, everybody's going to be closed until uh, the end of the semester that that's done. What about fall? What happened? What about come September, late August? Are we going to open yeah. up? I, I sure hope so. Because one thing people don't understand is we were able to do this because we knew our students, you know, and if you start us in the fall and we don't know our students, that's a problem. You know, that's going to be a big problem, particularly for freshmen coming in. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we should come back this year or I think we should have summer school. I think, for example, a good thing to do is say, hey, any kid who needed, who wants to do grades, right, who, who they took the course, let's come up with a way you can come in and take four or five tests right, to get a grade for the credit. Yeah. Let's take kids who didn't, weren't able to do stuff. Hey, let's have you come in and in a no-pressure way get you some credit. I think we should be starting, and I think schools should be going back to something relatively close to normal. And what's really ironic is I was talking to uh, Michael Pershawn, who's a, another teacher like me. We talk, like talk, talking policies is the teachers won't come back. And I'm looking at like, did grocery store workers get the option <laughs> to say, hey, I don't feel safe. I mean, you know, unions, I get unions, fine, but this is ridiculous. We are we are paid by the state. And, you know, if, if now obviously if you have a risk factor, then we should go on disability. Hey, I can no longer do my job because of this disease. I'll go on disability. But teachers should be getting back to work whenever it's deemed safe. And as far as I'm concerned, it's safe now. Um now, have uh, the leaders of the California Teachers Association been at all involved in public argument about what to do with the schools in the midst of the pandemic? My understanding. <laughs> See, my thing with, with unions is this. They're they're fairly good at their primary task, which is negotiating, um, negotiating us money and pensions. Yay, unions. The problem is, is, is a result of bad PR, they, they started saying, well, we're not just representative of the teachers, we're also representative of the kids, you know, and we, and, and then they take one particular view and they say, we're looking out for the kids. And I'm like, you know, whether it's teaching or anything else. And I'm like, unions, you don't tell me how to be a teacher. Shut up. You get me more money. Go away after that, you know? And so therefore my answer is yes, they are getting involved, but they're going to stay involved on, you know, Access. They're going to be the ones pushing for credit, no credit. They're going to be the ones pushing for um, making sure that uh, we don't open up too soon because it won't be safe. They're going to be doing all of that. And I don't think that that is necessarily a union function, or at least we should be able to vote on it. And of course, maybe I'd lose that vote. Now, in New York, they actively opposed 
keeping the schools open. In fact, that was de Blasio's main problem was the, the teachers unions. In California, I don't get the sense that they were pushing for it that hard. Don't quote me on that, but I, I certainly didn't hear it. As I said, this all came out of the blue. Um, there was something else you were saying. I can't remember. Uh, so when we go back there, I have a feeling that they're going to say teachers shouldn't have to go back. And I hope that we are given that choice. I really do. I mean, I'm perfectly willing to be the equivalent of a scab in that case, uh, although it wouldn't be for striking. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, that teachers are, need to go back to work. And I think the idea that we should care a great deal about their safety more than we care about far less well-paid grocery clerks and, you know, uh, uh, hardware store workers, that the idea that people who are being, who are being paid to, um, by the state very well, reasonably well, with good vacations and good benefits and pensions, which by the way, while everybody is growing broke, the state is paying into our pension plan. I think the onus is on us to get our butts back to work and do that as soon as possible. And I, I suspect a, not all, maybe not half, but I, I would think there's a decent chunk of teachers that agree with me on that. Good to hear from you, Michelle. <laughs> going to have to circle back and do that charter school conversation. Okay. In the meanwhile, uh, I want to thank you for giving some time. Uh, you've been very informative to me and I'm sure to my uh, viewers out there in uh, Blogging Heads land. So uh, Michelle Kerr, uh, high school math teacher, John F. Kennedy High School, Fremont, California. Bless you and carry on. Oh, well, thank you very much. And you take care too, okay? Okay, I will do that. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.